Hello. This time, my co-host John Deere and I, Dave Thomas, travel to France, aka Spain, in the company of legendary horror star Paul Nashi, aka Jacinto Molina, for the 1974 Spanish Jallo classic, The Blue Eyes of the Broken Doll, aka The House of Psychotic Women, aka Los Ocos Azules de la Muñeca Rota. Please join us. I'm not the same as my sister. Son of a bitch. He wasn't satisfied with just killing her. Gouged out her eyes. <laughs> the Blue Eyes of the Broken Doll. With Paul Nashi, Diana Lorries, and Maria Percy. In this episode, John and I discuss gendered violence, rape, and animal cruelty. So this one is called Blue Eyes of the Broken Doll, or in some places it's called House of Psychotic Women. Yes. Um, Where is it called that? Uh, I think that was a US retitling. Right, okay. All right, so it has its its, its initial in... Well, actually, I was about to say in in, in Italian, but that would be completely wrong. Um, It's it's Blue Eyes (laughs) of the Broken Doll. So the first question uh, I will ask is, geographically as much as tonally, where the hell are we? We're not not in Italy, yes. Yeah. Now... We are in France, of course. Everyone's... You say, of course. (laughs) Yeah. For the the first time, we're out of of Italy. Mm. But it's... Everyone's speaking Spanish. Yep. Everyone's got, but everyone's got French names. Correct. They go into uh, a remote cafe where everything's astoundingly Gallic. Yes. And there's, there's, there's even a gendarme to make you know this is Gallic. And there's there's a magazines with a rugby. There's a rugby magazine. Um, yeah. Yeah. My, my favourite part of set dressing in that cafe is there's the sort of a bottom of what I think is a calendar or a tourist poster. And it just says France in big letters. <laughs> So, you know, there is no doubt where we are supposed to be. Okay. But that's not we... where we are. <laughs> no, 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 no. So why are we in Spain pretending to be France when we're watching a shallow? Uh Well, oh boy, that's, um, that's a multi-part question. Uh, so we're in Spain because uh, we are looking at uh, a Spanish shallow. Now, a lot of the films we've talked about, although they are ostensibly Italian and uh, Jallo is an Italian genre by and large. Um, They were kind of popular elsewhere in the world and um, certainly in Europe. And so a lot of them are these kind of Euro pudding productions where they've got money coming in from different places. So um, that's why you'll see like Spanish actors and German actors. Yeah, we've we've mentioned mentioned Germany a few times. Yeah, yeah, and we've had had a few uh, Spanish actors as well. Um, Now, Jally were popular in Spain, so it's maybe unsurprising that Spain tried to do, uh, or did uh, do, some jelly of their own. Did they call it Amarillo? Um, well, see, that's the big... <laughs> that's yeah. always been my question. <laughs> and it appears not. And, you know, right. I, 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 I made that joke before, and it's like... Is it just me? And clearly not, because you picked up on it as well, so... Yeah, well, um, I mean, we, we don't... It's we, not... It, 
well, I was about to say Britain doesn't call it yellow, but Britain doesn't really have this this genre, does no, it? It's, no, no, it, it's just, the stuff no. Stuff is made Britain. Stuff is made with British actors, mm. but they're ostensibly European. But yes. so, from what you're saying here, is it's large, We see it as, as European, probably ninety mm. percent plus Italian, mm. but it's probably more pan-European than just Italian. Mm. The, however, everyone calls it giallo, or it's yep. just there isn't a term for it. Yeah, I guess everyone calls it giallo. Um, okay. Now, the reason why we are in Spain flexing very hard to pretend it's France yeah. um, is, as with pretty much all Spanish horror up until the late 70s, um, so all of these films are being made under the Franco regime. Indeed. And under that regime... Uh, such things as as horror and juvenile delinquency and murder and things of that nature are very unspanish and simply don't happen in you know the the fascist utopia of of franco spain so if you're making a film uh, of that type to get it past the censors you essentially have to set it somewhere else so, so, so it is. I mean, like my first thought went to Living Dead at the Manchester Morgue, mm-hmm. um, which is a Spanish horror, but it's shot in the Lake District or the Peak District, or yes, n- yeah, near Manchester. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, now I assumed that was done to avoid uh, having to, yeah, to 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 make something in in fascist in fascist Spain. Mm. But although this is set in Spain. Sorry, although this is uh, set in France, it's actually made in Spain. So, yeah. But that's but you're saying that's okay as long as it's not set in Spain. Correct. Right. Okay. That's yep. that's slightly more um, easygoing than I thought it would be. Yes. So essentially, you know, if you watch Spanish horror from late sixties in you know pretty much up until Franco died, which was yeah. what 70, 75. 75 he died, and like seventy seven was the kind of start of the the transition to democracy. Um, it's going to be, you know, Spain doing double duty as Italy or... Um, right, okay. I, I, I've seen at least one where they're trying to pass it off as, like, Scotland. I mean, it's, you know... it's. Um, oh, please, I have to watch that. <laughs> we're, just, we're having an uncontrollable heat wave in Scotland for its lasting quite a long time. Yes. All, the veg- all the vegetation's gone. Exactly. Um, yeah, so so that's a, that's a pretty common... Um, right. A pretty common uh, element that you'll find in in Spanish jelly, uh, and I mean, even you know. So the star of this movie, who I, we will discuss at some length, um, Paul Nashi. Um, so his his best known role because he's he's essentially like sort of Spain's biggest horror star, um, and he's you know kind of considered like the Lon Chaney of Spain. Right. Um, it, it's somewhat self styled. Uh, and so, he, you know, his most famous series of films is playing um, El, El Hombre Lobo, the Wolfman, um, okay. whose whose character name um, is uh, Voldemar Daninsky, um, because he, you know, it was a deliberately kind of, I guess, kind of Slavic Romany kind of a name because calling him a Spanish name would not fly yeah, in yeah, fascist Spain. Um, and a lot of those films, pretty much all of those films, I think, are even the ones kind of post um, Franco's death. I mean, they get really mad after, you know, in the 80s when they like ones in Tibet, ones in Japan, you know, um, where, uh, you know, so, so it's very much, you know, this is not a Spanish thing, even though it's a very, very Spanish 
type of horror um there's you know there's something quite distinctive about spanish horror that sets it apart from um from italian or or wherever so why then does this count as giallo uh, well, i mean it's very it's very deliberately trying to be a giallo um, i see okay so this is spain making it, it? Rather, yeah i mean rather than a spanish rather than generic spanish horror because yeah. uh, it is quite gothic in its, in its structure it is i mean the the reason why i went for this one and and so this was kind of an excuse to do a number of things. One, to kind of look at the genre as it's kind of filtered through Spanish horror. Mm-hmm. Um, two, get a Paul Nashy film in here because, you know, come on, Paul Nashy. Um, but then of the ones that he did, um, and the ones, so, that, so there's like a subset of kind of Spanish jelly. Um, he made three. One of them is set in London, actually, but that's pretty much impossible to get hold of because... The Nashi films and kind of Spanish horror in general is is not quite at the kind of tipping point that Italian horror and jelly have had in the last few years. When you know there's a whole slew of them that suddenly went from being super obscure to being you know available on Blu-ray um, all over the place. Um, so so the Nashi stuff is is kind of starting to have that momentum, but there's still you know some fairly big gaps. Um, the second one he made is this one, and the the third one that he made after this is called um a butterfly for each corpse so it's leaning really hard into the kind of animal title you know argento thing and that's actually set in italy i think it's set in milan and nashi's playing like an italian police inspector and it's almost it's kind of borderline parody because it's so kind of hitting the jello tropes like so hard um that it becomes practically comical like he's you know chewing a cigar and has a mustache and beating up suspects and you know sort of as we were talking last week about um what have they done to your daughters if you imagine that kind of going even further to the point where it's basically comic um that's pretty much what dragonfly for each corpse is so this i i, I picked this one one because i think it's the best of the, of the two that i've seen anyway um <laughs> uh but also because it's sort of its own thing and it feels this one is feels more like it has the the elements of like a spanish horror and a jello and kind of a gothic thing you know it's it's a little bit more of the sort of rural jello i mean there are quite a few jelly that you know they're at a big house somewhere and people start getting murdered so it's almost like the you know an agatha christie type um type thing and this one is kind of fun it's also one of the first Paul Nashi films I saw so I think it's you know in that sense I have a certain nostalgic fondness for um it's it's slight strangeness and the fact that the music is kind of completely bonkers yeah I've I've, I've made I've made note on the sitcom music I mean the Frere Jacques refrain that's really good it's really effective the incidental music from Terry and June (laughs) <laughs> yes. not, not quite so much yeah um it's 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 a bit it, hammond organs mm. are, are, are difficult to get right in horror films. i'd suggest this doesn't this doesn't get it right but i'm suspecting that's as much cultural um differences as it is to just it didn't it didn't really induce um yes. the correct emotions i i i i, I, I thought yet yeah, the setting and the and the and the, and the, and the photography Mm. I thought was was excellent. Uh, anyway, should, if should we do a quick um, a quick yes, rundown I, of, I, of, I, of what happens? Uh, yes, yes, let's do that. Uh, we we open with um, a, a hitchhiker, 
Gilles, uh, who is our, mm-hmm. our, Mr., our Mr. Nashi. Uh, he's a hitchhiker. Uh, he's um, looking, he's going seemingly from town to town looking for work. Um, he finds it slightly conveniently, but hey, it's a film. It's, these things, these <laughs> things happen. Uh, at the home of three, uh, three adult but orphaned sisters, um, one of whom uh, has, a, has a mutilated hand and wears a prosthetic one of whom's uh, psychologically bound to a wheelchair, which is very gothic. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them, one of them is there to be slut shamed, uh, <laughs> including, yes. including, including by herself. Yes, um, and dresses entirely for the male gaze, even though there's often no no men around. No males uh, to reg- gaze. Yes, indeed, they're they're regularly visited um, by a doctor for the uh, for the older ones. Condition in the wheelchair, which we understand is, is, is psychological, and there's a new nurse um, because the old one uh, seems to have uh, seems to have disappeared. So there's lots of different people already mm. with potentially different motives. We don't know who the drifter is. We don't know why the why the nurse has changed. And then suddenly murders start within within the village. Uh, initially, um, suspicion is thrown on the previous um, factotum. Uh, that uh, that was employed at the, at the house, but he's shown to be one of the victims. Mm. Um, and then we learn that Gilles uh, has flashbacks to strangling women. Yep. Um, which is very on the nose uh, <laughs> and is almost meta in that there's a scene where he goes to kill, ostensibly his lover, stops and then t- tells her about it. And she's really fucking reasonable. About that, uh, yeah, she is. Yes. She is really. You know, I've I've unwittingly ended relationships by saying the wrong thing, but he doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't. He doesn't. He doesn't get to when he literally tries to kill her, stops and feels bad, uh, and then she forget. And then she's like, oh, she's not. Doesn't. There's not even a case of. He doesn't even say sorry. Really, it's just. Yep. Go, oh no, I need you with me. I oh, know I understand it. You're with me, and it's like fucking hell. She is one reasonable woman, almost, mm. almost dangerously so. I think. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. So it becomes a whodunit with a pleasant number of realistic suspects. Mm. And you get the Jalo um, person in black with a knife. Mm-hmm. You get the you get um, a bit of gore. Uh, you get the, uh, the visuals mm. um, of, it as, of it as well. Uh, and overall, um, I thought it was interesting. I thought... It looked very nice, as I've just said. It didn't sound, uh, didn't, 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 the soundtrack didn't, didn't work as well. I thought it dragged for the first half, and then as we get to this, in, from the second half to the end, it ratchets up the tension, lovely, uh, and it becomes much better uh, as it goes on. Almost like it's trying to be a different. Even the murders are happening really in the background. You find out people have been killed. Uh, there's not much. There's pretty much all the sex happens right at the beginning, and all the blood happens right at the end. And it's mm. sort of an interesting. We, we are in now, lads. Now we'll now we've got you. This <laughs> what I want. What I wonder what they've been doing. Uh, and normally I can point out the various problematic things about they still exist here, particularly in uh, how highly sexualized or, or sexually positive women are, are treated, mm. or indeed how the male gaze is treated. Uh, in in these films and we talk about context and we talk about history and we talk about how enjoying them uh now and you know doesn't that doesn't necessarily make you a bad person but it's it's understanding why things have changed and how yep. things have changed and going with as well, as well however i love waking fright that's one of my one of my favorite films mm-hmm. and um they are all over that to say 
that the scenes you saw of the kangaroos being killed mm. is one, it's stock footage, and one, it's done at a proper culling session to keep them, mm-hmm. uh, to keep those things, uh, yeah, to keep them, to keep the numbers right, to keep the species propagating uh, mm-hmm. um, um, properly, uh, and that's all. That they, yeah, they were well aware of what the you know, potential implications of being show, being shown animal cruelty were. Here we yep. watch, uh, we watch the live slaughter of a pig. And I kept going, oh, they're going to take this pig away and then they're going to cut away. And, oh, no, they're holding that pig in place with – it's actually – they've already pierced its throat and are holding it with a hook. Mm-hmm. And and there they are. They're slitting its throat. And mm-hmm. there they're pouring the blood out. And that scene only exists so that the, the girl collecting the blood gets killed. Yes. And I get that, like, she's killed a bit like a pig because it's <laughs> – her, yeah, her throat's – get that. Uh, do you really need to see – literally, yeah. I get a pig – I see a pig killed – front of my eyes and you know i'm not a vegetarian you know i don't i'm not saying pigs that i you know want all want all pigs to live pure pastoral existences without without you know i really like bacon uh i don't think it's necessarily appropriate i mean i'm assuming they didn't do this they would have killed the pig anywhere they went to yes exactly so so because they were shooting essentially in a fairly rural part of spain that's that's like a local farmer who was going to kill the pig anyway anyway yeah you know so so they just filmed it and then obviously use that for the setup of the farm girl being being murdered. Yes, yeah, indeed. Mm. That was that was But it is a bit jarring. It sort of comes it out is, of nowhere. Oh, yeah. And don't you see how much more convincing the blood is where the blood's actually <laughs> yeah. literally yeah. real? Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's really his blood. Not that yeah. not that not that's not the not Is the it is it is it terribly, terribly wrong that um I who am also not a vegetarian, so there's the the bit of dialogue in that scene is like the old lady who I assume is sort of the matriarch of yeah. the farm telling the young granddaughter, you know, you need to get it to the kitchen while it's still hot. And I'm thinking, yeah. ooh, black pudding. Yes, it is wrong because, <laughs> because black, black pudding is indeed a crime against humanity. Oh, this podcast is over. <laughs> oh, it's like one of four things I won't eat. Oh, right. God. <laughs> do, do you like sushi too? I love sushi. Not fucking not with black pudding. No, I fucking hate sushi. There you go. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I, I have a very large palate. Two of the things: rocket salad is disgusting. Yeah, yeah I'm probably. I mean, it's you know salad, yeah. smoked salmon, salmon really? lovely. Yeah, salmon lovely, smoked salmon revolting. Okay. Sushi and black pudding. Four oh. things. Four things I won't have. Right. So if I so next time I come around your house for dinner, you know, smoke, smoke, <laughs> smoke salmon, salmon sushi with black pudding. Smoke salmon, so smoke salmon starter with rocket, <laughs> and then black pudding. Black pudding sushi actually might be nicer than both of those things. Um, <laughs> and you know, you know, good, and however, you know, it's 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 what it's what you do with it. Raw, I mean, steak should essentially be be pretty much raw. You shouldn't cook a mm. steak. You should cauterize a steak. Mm. Uh, I, want, I want blood coming out of that, but you know. Blood pudding. Anyway, um, welcome yes. to two gentlemen in cookery. Um, We've got a more Anthony Bourdain. <laughs> of Jenna. Anyway, and clearly the director or, uh, or Paul Nashi agrees with me because the girl goes to make black pudding and he's killed horribly and he's murdered. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, also, oh, also, shout out right at the beginning. There's a John Deere tractor. Is oh, very yeah, good. The tractor yeah. he gets, you just see, you see it's a John Deere. Even oh. you know, yeah. They're used constantly now. They're still they're being used in fascist Spain. Do you know what? Actually, that's not a good thing. But you know, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just saying the, the ubiquity. Of John 
not fascist, but the preferred tractor of fascists. There you go. Well, um, you know, is it my fault that they're good? They, they, they're, they're good tractors. <laughs> ah, yeah. So there's quite there's a fair bit to unpack there. Um, there, 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 there is. I mean, the motivations of characters um, are, are interesting to guess at, and I like hmm. the, the way there's always you could well, you being generous you can hide potential inconsistencies by you don't know characters pasts yeah. uh, stuff's thrown out by i mean i'm at the mercy of the of the english subtitles but the mother was mental is is not the it's not the most helpful of diagnoses <laughs> that comes from the that comes from the doctor um, yeah. but you know there's there's clearly set up i mean and if it was called house of psychotic women you would already you would already be that's not the title but i was aware of that so you've already got the motivation. You don't really find out anything about the accident. Um, no. The, the, and it's in, you only want to see your hand outside of the prosthetic and it, mm. it's mangled and burnt uh, and all, all three middle fingers three middle fingers are, 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 are missing. And you sort of mm. try to get them in their sort of character types, the three sisters, the, uh, mm. the idea of the, the mad one in the attic or, you know, the, the mm. one in the wheelchair and often, you know, in keeping with some of the more problematic elements of gothic horror, you know, mm. the woman in the wheelchair is shown somehow to be a bit wrong. Other than her only crime seems to be she's in a wheelchair. Yeah, I mean that they, they are, um, and you can kind of tell that that it's kind of channeling essentially sort of tropes of yeah of Italian jelly and also the the progenitors of those because. The, the three conditions that the the women kind of represent are you know kind of classic jello female ailments you know one of them is scarred and thus you know yeah, she uh, said oh she had yes she has a line uh when um uh, uh, uh gilles seduces her and she says no one could like me i'm disgusting yeah and then, then he takes her coat off which has got nothing underneath what well, you, you were hedging your bets there love <laughs> yeah and then there's, there's a line there's a line uh I, I don't know if it's on the subtitles it's certainly in the english dub where um I think it's the point at which she kind of meets Gilles and someone says, oh, it's a shame because she's very pretty. And it's like, yeah, because she's she's got a, you know, she's got a scarred arm and thus is, you know, com- she needs to hide herself away yeah. is, you know, is, is a very kind of jello trope. And quite a gothic trope too. Yeah. And, and the same with the sort of the, um, the psychosomatic wheelchair user that will be important later on. Indeed. And then of course, and then of course, you know, the classic Jano ailment, nymphomania. Yeah. Um, you, you know, because that, that's, you know, I, I think that only exists in films <laughs> of this type, really. Well, um, in, in some ways, the, item, the the stranger coming into a village, uh, you know, is a staple of, of, of horror and, and us seeing the village from the outsider's point of view and us discovering the village from the outsider's point of view is, is, is staple, you know, you can go from you know, the famously you know, has people on a journey and then they they encounter horror um, you know it's a staple of folk horror most obviously the wicker man you know an outsider going to to uh, what's called the, what's known as the vacant the pagan village conspiracy so this the setups is 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 sort of quite familiar yet it's clear early on that Gilles is not the clean-cut hero and there is no clean-cut hero and we see, and the more we see him having the flashbacks, the more, and the scene particularly where he potentially goes to seduce uh, the nurse, I think it's Michelle, mm. and she's about to think, no, he's gonna, he's gonna, you know, he, he's gonna assault me, mm. goes to defend herself with a hook, and then he stops and walks away. Mm. Um, 
I mean, flawed. I mean, calling him a hero at all is probably you know, is probably going a bit far. But there's yeah. the anti, there's the, there's there is. I mean, he's as the central male character with a major with yeah, with a psychotic flaw. You're mm. setting him up even to the extent that you he can't be the murderer unless unless there's a double bluff mm. because it's just so because you're setting up so much for him being the killer. Yeah. And as you see it, it's, the, it's reinforcing him as a strangler, mm. and you, and all the time that the uh, you see the um, the killer is using. A knife, or a cleaver, or you know, or, or a blade, and mutilating them. So they're establishing that they're, they're that because one either is a killer, or no, he's a killer, isn't he? He's a, he's a, he's a, he is. He's, he's an ex-convict. Yeah, can sort of not be redeemed because I think it says that you know he has to die because he is, he has done bad things and mm. is a potential danger all along. But the idea of playing a character, and I understand that he wrote that Paul Nashie wrote this as well, didn't he? He did indeed. Yeah. Did, yeah. The idea of playing a character from an outside who comes in as an outsider, but yet isn't there so much to be a victim? Is either a vic- is either neither really a straightforward victim, nor is he the perpetrator? Mm. Uh, and as we discover the rest of this village world through his eyes, we sort of discover that he's like he's also. Um, highly complex, highly flawed character as well. Mm. And that's much more intelligent than you get in a lot of things like this. Mm. And not even really kind of the catalyst for the plot because you no, could argue no, that would, his it, arrival sort of sets things in motion, but it really doesn't. Yeah, he, it would have. It, it seems largely coincidental that the murders mm. start because of who the identity of the killer is and their motive. And it's not just the case of this person is the killer. Mm. You know, this person is essentially, um, well, Ultimately, the doctor is responsible, but he's hypnotizing mm. uh, people to, to, to kill. Sorry if there's something you could spoiler. If you decide, if you decide that we're going to do a spoiler on a 1974 film as well, you can edit that bit out. Yeah. But you know, if you haven't seen, okay, again, do the, do the spoiler warning. We would, we would, yes. But I, I mean, I mean, that's in itself. There aren't many um, films to are there. I mean, you can tell me that that use. It isn't just the case of the killer. It's uh, the killer using other people to kill via via hypnosis. Is that a, does that happen much in this? So. Um, it's not that common, certainly. No. I mean, it's I, it's not unique, but um, I mean, I'm I'm struggling to think of um, another one that does it, though I'm reasonably sure I've seen something along those lines. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's certainly, and it's not something that's even particularly kind of signposted. Like there isn't really any point at which the Doctor is. Um, trying to hypnotise anyone else for kind of medicinal reasons or anything like that. It's it, No, it, there, there isn't really any Chekhov's guns on that one as well. No. We hear the refrain, but the refrain isn't associated necessarily with the Doctor if you don't know it. No, um, no. At that, 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 that point. And there's a lot of red herrings thrown at you. Oh, my God, so yeah. many. I mean, I literally sort of you turn around every five minutes. And so, so is it the previous incumbent of the you know, handyman about the house? Is it one of the sisters? Um, is it the creepy guy from the cafe who likes ogling yeah. teenage girls? Yeah. Um, he was about know. the third person I went to. I think it's definitely him now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's one that kind of throws a lot at you, um, but not in a... I, I, you know, I don't think it's one of those movies where you kind of like, oh, come on, um, because it's just... It's one of those films that I tend to think of as sort of relentlessly enjoyable because, you know, if you if you go with it because it's you know, it is, a, yeah, a a thriller of nineteen seventy four that was made for not a lot of money and that's something that you notice in 
Spanish horror generally um, is that as well made as they you know can be certainly not universally and this one's pretty well made they do have a sort of slightly cheaper feel than like the kind of italian productions i don't know if that's yeah i mean be- i can't because of the you know the, the, yeah. the nature in which they're made but certainly you know um they, they do have a slightly more sort of threadbare feel than, than a, an italian equivalent there's no real sweeping um, shots of the of the countryside is there there's no no there, there's there's no dramatic steps to a to a, to a roman cathedral no, no, no. It's, very, and, it's 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 all set around, largely set around a house, mm. um, with several scenes in the surrounding streets and in the cafe. That's, yeah, that's and so, and sort of some some um, sort of one particular sequence in the countryside. But then if you, you see the countryside, it's like it's covered in snow, so it's probably fucking freezing. So no, no, no doubt. They yeah. Also, didn't to no matter how sure there. you are of a, of who the killer is, and by the way, they're wrong at this point. Um, yeah. And. Uh, a man running away should not be should not be repeatedly shot at until he dies. That's not yeah. a way of taking. It's the like risk. he's he's stuck in a bear trap. What's he going to yeah. do? Yeah, he's, by that I suppose by that point he's waving a gun around so you can see it. Yes, more. I but essentially he's he's when they all start firing on him, I'm not even sure they know he's armed. Mm. Um, so they all, all the police start firing on a man that's running away that hasn't even been arrested yet. But you yes. know, it's it, but then it's you know it's, it's Franco's it's Franco Spain, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Well, it's Franco's France. It's Franco's France, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And here's another example of like of a, of a yellow trope ship police. And you know they, <laughs> yeah. they try and make the gendarme quite likable, but he has this line where he says, like, you know, I'm not calling in the crime squad. Yeah, I've got my reputation. How many more villagers will have to be horribly murdered yeah. before you decide you you're in over your head, mate? Indeed. <laughs> And he has really. he has a great little exposition scene at the end where he sort of explains how the crime was done, but sort of like after, yeah. um, after it's all you know, someone else has has figured it out and the apparent culprit has been killed, and then he's wrong anyway. Indeed, yeah. This <laughs> this is how he did it, and then I mean that goes a bit like you know, but then I've got a letter saying you did it, um, and that it goes a bit Poirot there. Yeah. Whereas if you just stood up to Poirot and just said, "Really, that's not going to stand up in court, is it?" Yeah. but it involves him going oh no and running away <laughs> <laughs> yeah but but to, to quite an effective ending when you finally work mm. out why he's been nicking he's been nicking young girls eyes yes um, that's a that's that's quite and despite the fact you i think you can see the camera crew in one shot as he goes past a mirror uh which is you know is, is forgivable in the in the yep. in, in the budget and tone and time we're in uh it's a lovely final scene with an almost entirely white room that he has as a shrine to his to his dead daughter mm. and there's enough about there's enough seeded in for the motivations of the doctor for you to for you to for you to miss so for, for you mm. to justify it's as you say it's the it's the hypnotism that, that, that doesn't that isn't seeded particularly as well but nevertheless it's a it's a good ending and the mm. the, the doctor eduardo calvo mm. uh was very good i thought he had a he had a fun a fun role when you can see him just as a uh, at the start that it just seems to be a fairly standard authority local authority figure mm. that enables exposition to happen mm. because they're a doctor and they but he appears more and more and becomes more and more involved in the plot mm. But enough seeding that you see, his there's more to him than might need be needed from what you've always, from from what might be first inferred, and that's I really liked that he's 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 really low key all the way through, uh, and it's really worth it for the end when he's mm. basically.
basically saying, I'm going to get you new eyes, pretty as the sky. Hmm. And it's like, oh, that's that's lovely. Yeah. Uh, based on the real case, apparently. Um, Shit, from no the, way. From, yeah, from, so there was a case of a doctor in Madrid in the 19th century who apparently um, had kind of kept the mummified remains of his daughter, um, minus her eyes, in his basement. Um, I mean, is there a... Have you seen like relics in Spain? Uh, I, I know what you're talking about. I haven't seen yeah, them in, yeah, in person, the, but and I mean, there's some in Italy as well. But like as well, there's like quite a lot of emaciated corpses mm. uh, as uh, in the relic. Like, no, there's the actual head of a saint, mm. which would in other circumstances be found disconcerting or at least mm. inappropriate, inappropriate. But there's something about uh, the Catholic fetishizing of the dead, mm. um, which I wonder if it. Uh, Touches and touches a, 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 a well, rings a bell or touches a nerve here that in a slightly different way for Spanish viewers hmm. than it does for than it does for for Brits. Hmm. Um, this the way she's laid out in splendor, almost you know, like hmm. like a like, like a saint, like you know, like a someone to be revered by by by, by the doctor. But the hmm. idea of replacing bits of the bits of the body, you know, is, you know bits of wax that you would sort of keep a, a saint's corpse going hmm. with as well. Just sort of plays in, I think, to the um, to the religious practices of the day, mm. and even now, I mean, if you see Spain now, it's really it's yeah, uh, it's 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 processions are you know terrifying wonderful <laughs> as well. This is not a worship of, of of God. That's why we're all dressed like red uh, Ku Klux Klan members, <laughs> carrying firing torches <laughs> and carrying bits of dead bodies, and, uh, and out of context, that's fucking terrifying. Yeah. Uh, but it's and it doesn't really feel joyous. It feels it feels it feels quite fascistic. Um, <laughs> uh, but then your country that was How able to blend within within living memory was a yeah well for, for some quite. was in fascism as well. So yeah, I wonder if um, yeah the veneration of the body has sort of uh, more symbolic is it for for homegrown viewers. Yeah, quite possibly. I mean, it's a very well constructed script. You mentioned so. Uh, Paul Nashi uh, was the screen name of uh, Yakinto Molina, who um, wrote and kind of masterminded and ultimately ended up directing a lot of his own films. Oh, he directed so he, as well. Yeah, later later on, sort of slightly after this, and sort of towards the end of his career, he ended up like directing pretty much most of his own movies too. Um, with and not. Um, it's not down to his direction that they sort of declined in in quality as time went on because he was making movies. I think God, I think into like the nineties, um, but you know, just sort of for you know changing fashions and available budgets and that kind of thing. You know, they they start to get you know increasingly sort of sillier and and um, of of declining quality. When I said like you know, there's there's one of his werewolf movies that's like set in Japan and. It's, among samurai it's like bananas um, there's one where he fights the yeti you know that kind of thing um but um but yeah certainly at this point i mean like the the because you were you were talking about the doctor and how he sort of becomes increasingly important in the narrative but they sort of don't particularly telegraph that he's ultimately responsible mm. um and it's quite clever because essentially all three of the quote psychotic women have significant you know have enough enough of kind of a medical history to kind of keep him you yeah. know sort of employed coming back and forth to the house i mean the the, the um <laughs> there's another uh fairly gratuitous scene where so nicole who is the sister who um is cursed with nymphomania um 
goes to uh goes with claude diana Lloris's character who's the one who's sort of sort of the the in charge sister with the um uh injured arm and uh so when nicole gets to his office she basically starts stripping off and coming on to him um in, in the doctor's surgery and it's essentially because we haven't seen you know eva leon's boobs for a while but at the same time you know and, and there's a lot there's a lot going on with that because he's basically saying if you don't pack it in i'll make sure you just get locked up and it's like well all she wants to do is go out and have sex so and the you know she's effectively treated as a prisoner in her own home because oh she likes sleeping with the help big mm. deal um and and you know that that in in some ways I don't know if it's necessarily meant to be played that way to the audience, but certainly amongst the characters, that scene is like worse than the also completely ridiculous person who has a deformed arm being completely unlovable and hideous. But, you know, it's like so. So the person who just likes sex is the most, you know, the most disgusting and despicable of the the um of the characters and one of them literally like murdered someone i mean and not like the murderer but like the main character essentially because they do some interesting stuff with with him having flashbacks and you know sort of oh oh is it something that he's misremembering or is it something you know that that um you know he he's flashing back to something that happened to someone else and it's like no 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 he really did kill his wife or girlfriend and Went to prison he, for it, yeah. Went to prison for it. And essentially and I think they even say that like he raped her as well. And and then the sort of the flashback scene before he explains to Claude um what happened, and as you said, she takes it remarkably well. Um it's like, oh well she was laughing at him. Again. So yeah. um <laughs> So yeah, I mean and as you say, I mean, you, you could you could almost have gone away with that. Well you probably I mean in the terms of the film that we're watching sure except that as you say like there's a scene where so he's he's bedded nicole because you know she that's wants she to yeah. that's what she does exactly and then he uh goes to bed with claude who you know he's sort of and, and they seem to have like more of a connection because you know he's damaged she's damaged they both see themselves as 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 unlovable because of you know things that have happened to them so they they actually have a, a closer bond and it's I guess it's the closest thing to like a loving relationship in the film amongst human about amongst living characters anyway um but then as you say you know he comes on to the nurse and you, you know that that scene's going in a very unpleasant direction until he has another flashback and sort of you know it is goes away because he's sort of you know he's horrified by what he's done in the past but even so it's like well hang on aren't you like seeing at least two other people um and that's that you know as you say that's like the main character <laughs> so there's also there's also a scene which i i, I think interesting when he um when he beds nicole uh, and that there's sort of a post-coital chat they have, and she talks about her sisters being being gross and weird, and he sort of says, "I I like them," mm. uh, and you're and uh, you know Claude is Claude is beautiful, uh, and it's like there's I, I forget sorry I've only I've, I've only seen it the once. Uh, mm. People who have gone to this podcast and have seen it more times than me can shout in frustration. Um, but there seems like the, basically he's saying like you and me we're the we're the we're the ugly ones. Mm. Me because I've raped and murdered a woman. And you, because you like sex, yeah, yes. And her, and again, yeah. her reaction is kind of like, yeah, fair enough. Um, <laughs> it's kind of amazing. I love the bit when she's sort of watching him doing all of his uh, phallic wood chopping, yeah. 
Um, it's always I, I, it's always good with chopping for Felix um, with, with his shirt off. And, and my note in uh, as I was watching it was um, sex theme from Blue Eyes of the Broken Doll, because there's an amazing piece of music that underscores that that literally is pretty much cribbed from a porno. Yes. Is there something about um, potentially gender swapping about the role of the outsider being a man that comes in and sort of seduces his way through the village? I mean, is that Maybe. Sort of, this sort of becomes a, fa- a female fantasy. Don't, I don't know. I mean, I'm, 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 although I'm thinking, though, you know, I'm, actually, if, if, if come, actually, to be honest, while I'm, because I'm thinking about this off the top of my head rather than well prepared, uh, I suppose there's a there's a parallel with Tony Richardson's Mademoiselle in which an itinerant mm. Italian woodcutter cuckolds the whole village. Mm. Um, uh, but it's sort of like that's a yearly occurrence. He's known and they mm. and everyone sort of hates him. But here it's sort of, it's... it's uh, There's a double bill for you. Oh, this, this and Mademoiselle. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, there's, there's a lot to be said. Yeah, there's a lot to be said about female psychology in Mademoiselle. Um, yeah. Particularly, <laughs> uh, uh, but about freedom. That's, that's, uh, that's uh, about freedom from responsibility and what you might do. Mm. If if no one would suspect you of a crime, mm. what would where would your where would your morals take you? And it takes you to to sate uh, your pleasures for the regardless of consequence. Mm. Um, here, I think that the the house of psychotic women needs quite a lot of caveats, and ultimately, is, <laughs> yeah. ultimately is male controlled. Literally, yeah. yes, I mean exactly. You could yeah, you, yeah. you you could I suppose make a case that Paul Nashy chopping wood with his shirt off is you know. I don't know. It's not female gazy, but a little something for the ladies. But then, yeah, it's. But then Nashi. This is the thing. I mean, you know, Paul Paul Nashi was very aware of the fact that he looked pretty good with his shirt off because he'd been a weightlifter. So you know, and I mean, he's quite. I mean, he's not slim. No, but he's. He's, he's, he's he had, yeah, he had been an athlete and, yeah. and he'd been a um, professional weightlifter. So he, you know, um, he, he was pretty ripped. Um, he's also quite short, which makes it slightly funny when he's kind of wandering around wearing lifts and being all manly and being, you know, like the, a sort of slightly petite werewolf. But um, oh, I can see that. It, uh, but yeah, it, it's all fine. Yes, but but then you know, and that there is a certain um, thread that runs through his films in that you know he's playing the lead and he gets to have nude scenes with most of his female co-stars. So yeah. you know, um, take from that what you will. But um, I think there needs to be a scene. I'm like, it's like how much did um, did Chris Isaac have input into the Wicked Game video? Uh, I really, really think this scene needs to have me rolling around on a beach with with Helena Christensen. Does it? Yep. Yeah, I think that's that's what I, that's what I think is because of art. Yeah, it is. It's, it's important for my character. There's 27 sex scenes in this. Uh, Paul, do you need that? Well, I'm, and he's there thinking, even if they cut it down to like three, I'm still quids in. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, we could we could probably stand to lose a couple. You're right. Yeah, that's, that's fair. Um. <laughs> uh, there's also an, uh, a lovely, in a, as you said, lovely, and then I'm going to reverse and start that again. So please cut any reference to me using the adjective lovely from what I'm going to describe. <laughs> oh, definitely not now. <laughs> there's an, uh, in, a, in, a, in a film of, of red herrings, there's a very curious one where into the, into the cafe come um, three young, quite athletic young ladies. Hmm. Uh, not wearing very much, uh, showing you know, under bum. Mm-hmm. Uh, clearly, one of them isn't wearing a bra, and they all sit around uh, in a way that young girls don't, unless yes. they're in, unless they're in certain in certain media. Yeah, um, and it goes absolutely nowhere. Yep, and it's complete. It's a complete. Well, it's almost because you're expected to go new victims, everyone. Mm. We're running out of plot. That may be the thing you're, you're thinking. Here's three new victims for the slaughter, and it mm. doesn't happen at all. And they and, and they only appear ever appear in that scene. Mm-hmm. And I'm left wondering: even was there a like was there a couple of scenes with them later, not necessarily being murdered, um, but uh, to develop something? And it doesn't go anywhere because they mm. turn up, and the only thing is to, is to so because middle-aged men can go. Mm. Well, I think I think um, it's a. a Really, the only function it serves is to make the creepy guy in the cafe possibly more of a red herring. Yeah. Because he is leering to the point where um, he gets told to stop it by, is it the waitress? Yeah, the waitress who's got a, re- who's got a really cool uh, cigarette holder. Mm. Javier Bardem's mum, incidentally. No way! Yep, Pilar Bardem. That's, that's a lovely fact. Thank you. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, keeping in conflict that Eduardo Calvo, I read, was in um, Women of the Virgin for Nervous Breakdown. So he had mm-hmm. a very long career. He's, if you don't, he's done a Maldivar. Mm. Yeah, it's that random thing with Euro horror that these sort of actors who turn up in all kinds of stuff that worked with, you know, the the acknowledged greats of the capital C canon of, yeah. you know, the great film. countries. Film, film. Yeah, and were in, like, some shitty Jello knockoff um playing a killer in a raincoat it's you know it's one of, it's one of the things that's great about this stuff is there a deliberate homage actually talking about you reminded me there with killer in a raincoat but the mm. scene there's like um i think it's towards the end uh there's is it michelle the, the nurse mm-hmm. she's running in a bright red raincoat that felt very jalloy that might not have oh happened. very possibly very yeah, yeah. That, that, i mean that, could, that would look to a bit barvery um, yeah, I mean, Nashi was certainly very cine literate. I mean, you know, he 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 did these movies because he liked them. Um, you know, so and and he did like his his kind of monster movies because he that was kind of his sweet spot. You know, he's very much uh, um, making the things that he wanted to make. So yeah, I'm I'm sure that if there's something that very deliberately looks like it's harking back to Blood and Black Lace, then it absolutely is. I mean, he's a fascinating guy because you know he'd he'd grown up in been born into a relatively affluent family, like right before the Spanish Civil War, and they his family sort of managed to to weather that out um, relatively well. Though his dad was at one point imprisoned because um, he'd been, I think, outed as supporting I can't remember which side, but one of the sides. Um, and so he'd been imprisoned and been led off to be executed, but escaped. Um, now this is all according to Nashi himself. So and he, he did like apparently to kind of embellish 
um, the stories because he wrote an autobiography, which is quite sort of uh, florid and and um, somewhat uh, massaged, probably. Um, but uh, yeah, certainly they had you know they had a, an interesting time during the Civil War, um, and it was sort of the end of the fifties when the the completely self-contained Spanish society that clearly wasn't working um, was was opened up to some foreign influence uh, and particularly hollywood and and holly you know sort of um american filmmakers coming and making um movies in spain like john paul jones with robert stack and peter cushing was i think like the, one of the first movies made there um inevitable peter cushing mentioned and so one you know at that point they started allowing like importing old horror films and so he says like the formative moment in his life as a as a young, as a well, I, I guess a, a teenager or a, you know a sort of young man was was seeing um, Frankenstein meets the Wolfman, and that just kind of being like the light bulb moment. Um, and you know, subsequently, not only I mean he would play like a Wolfman, but he'd play Dracula and Frankenstein's creature and um, you know the Phantom of the Opera and you know various horror characters throughout a whole slew of of. Films are varying quality, it's fair to say, but they're always pretty, you know, they're always pretty interesting. Um, I mean, his, the, the ones he did with sort of the Werewolf versus the Vampire Women and stuff like that had this weird kind of hypnotic quality that even though they are pretty goofy, you're kind of like, there's, there's something going on here that's not just, you know, Paul Nashy and Werewolf makeup and sort of some topless vampires. You know, there's there's, <laughs> there's, there's more to it than that. Um even if not intentionally, they are they are pretty fascinating. And he and you know he's you know as I said, I mean he'd been like a weightlifter. Um, he was an illustrator for a while. He um, he's a bit of a polymath. He he used to design um, album covers for like Spanish releases of foreign records. So he'd design like covers for Elvis records. Um, yeah. So you know, um, and he'd been a big fan of like the Steve Reeves Hercules movies from Italy, which is why he became a weightlifter. So you know, all of this then kind of channels into this you know, buff if a little bit short you know horror legend who kind of forged this strange path of like writing and directing and you know kind of producing his own stuff. <laughs> we haven't really spoken about the the director. Uh, it was was it Carlos Ored? Carlos Ored. Yeah, um, I to be honest, yeah, I, I struggle a bit with the directors of of Nashi films. Um, okay. So the, the two main ones are Carlos Ored and, and a guy called Leon, Leon Klimovsky. Um, and Ored had been, I think, he was an assistant director on some of the Klimovsky films. I think he was actually the assistant director on um, Werewolf Shadow, aka Werewolf versus the Vampire Women. Um, and and so he worked with Nashi quite a bit. I don't know what he did really outside of that though. Um I, I think both he and Klimovsky tended to primarily work with, with Nashi. I think Klimovsky's done a few other things. He did um, the Mummy's Revenge with Nashi. Mm-hmm. After, yeah. After this. Mm. Um, oh, he played the mummy as well. <laughs> wow. He, okay. he played them all. Good lord. Uh but he's not someone that will bother us too much is it in, um, i don't in, think so unless we because i think lee and klimovsky directed um a dragonfly for each corpse which we could which we could potentially do at a, a future point um it is quite fun um as i said it's 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 borderline jello parody but it's still it is entertaining in that sense um and and a, a quite a few nashy films i mean because one of the um 
you know, he uh, Vengeance of the Zombies, which is Nash's zombie movie. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, and Devil's Possessed. So, so interestingly, the the character that um, Nashi plays in this is called Gilles, and it, and he he was kind of fascinated by Gilles de Ray, um, right. the, the the French serial killer. And in fact, he plays a character who's not Gilles de Ray, but is inspired by him in a couple of films, which I think Devil's Possessor. Is that one of them? I don't think it is, actually. But he does like a movie called Horror Rises from the Tomb, which is um, which is sort of a character that's very similar uh, to Gilles de Ray. Um, yeah, I mean, his his filmography is is pretty fascinating. I'm just I've just seen I'm, I've been going through a very, very eclectic mix. And in 1977, he wrote... Uh, and and starred in um, El Transsexual. He doesn't uh, as basically uh, a sympathetic look at the life of um, a trans woman becoming a club singer in 1977. I mean that's yeah, that's one that hasn't made it to any of the box sets thus far. Surprisingly, no. um, <laughs> which is a shame because it sounds it sounds fascinating. Yes, it does. Like a sympathetic look at trans issues forty four mm. years ago. In Spain, mm. um, you know, yeah, I mean, seventy-seven. I, I mean, I guess that's the sort of thing that could only have been made after Franco's after. death. But he, he, even um, so, it wasn't like. Was, but even then, it's still nineteen seventy-seven. Yeah. Europe wasn't exactly, regardless of fascism, wasn't exactly the most yeah, of course. place for tra- for trans issues. If we're having mm. arguments in twenty twenty-one, then mm. you could you could think. I mean, gosh, how many how many of the films have we seen have been you know sort of have a slightly gender bending element to the. Uh, to the ultimate motivation of the uh, of the murderer, um, yeah, and it's so, and generally yeah, that's extraordinary. It's, see, it's, see, it's, it's seen as a as a as a literal perversion that, that causes mm. uh, that uh, that that, ju- that justifies a character's motivations for killing. Look, 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 mm. look, look how weird! Look, they're a weirdo, you know. Mm. So yeah, that's 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 generally interesting. Oh, of course, it might it might be really problematic. I don't know. I've never, never seen yeah. it. So if, if, <laughs> yes, if, if, yeah. if it is, we've seen it. Don't write it. I'm not advocating it, but it nevertheless looks looks interesting in someone's in someone's career that might mm. be dismissed as a uh, as a horror actor, which gen- which regardless of the feelings of the people discussing on this podcast, uh, is some is something among even amongst genre that is that is often looked down upon by mm. uh, by by wider proponents of uh, a film um, but it should be it looks like there were several strings to to paul's bow mm. yeah. yes I, I hope this will not be the last time we visit france spain or i read i read, <laughs> I read one write-up that says it's in it's in peru it's not in peru is it no it's not no I think they would have put a pig poster that said Peru on it if it was meant yeah, to be yeah. in Peru. Well, I wouldn't but, say France. Yeah, but those, <laughs> those well-known Peruvian gendarmes. Yes, that's small. Perhaps it's like the Patagonian village where they're all they're still Welsh. Yeah, yeah. There's there's, there's that. Yeah, I do love the bit actually when he gets to the village at the beginning and he has he in the cafe he orders uh, from Javier Barden's mum a, a cheese sandwich and a glass of wine, yeah. and he has a sip of the wine and then just yeah. walks out with so, the sandwich. <laughs> Initially, I thought that's a waste, but then I thought, well, how bad was that wine? Yeah, exactly. Like, also, I mean, do you go in and just say wine? I mean, you give, you're given whatever the house, the house rent yeah. is, but that is. And also, the, the wine snob in me was horrified anyway because it was in the tumbler. It was. It was also quite light, so it was, it was yep. maybe a, a, yeah, a Pinot Noir. 
or something. <laughs> um, but you know, even so, if I wanted a glass of wine after a sweltering walk, I might have some water with it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's not going to help. But no, good one, good one, the cheese. Also, that cheese sandwich is, is, is ready pretty suspiciously quickly. <laughs> yeah, like, that cheese sandwich been sitting around all day, is it, in this heat? Yeah. Yeah. It's a croissant, because look, France. Oh, it's a croissant. Yeah, it's a croissant with cheese stuck in it. It's more like a, <laughs> a, cro- a croque monsieur. You should have asked for a croque monsieur. You should have asked for a croque seigneur. <laughs> but yes, I hope this will not be our last visit to whatever, I... whatever country outside of Italy. Go, de- there's definitely at least one more Spanish one that I've already got programmed in. I think for our our next go around, um, which was one I won't talk about too much now, but it was one that was pretty obscure until it hit Blu-ray, and then it was complete surprise to me that I, I kind of stuck it in, not expecting much, and I absolutely loved it. So yeah. I've kind of thrown that one in as a uh, as a you know pleasant surprise movie. Um, so oh, I'd be good. curious. To- I'm not a pleasant surprise, other than really horrific, <laughs> problematic surprise, which, which is so far been the thing. No, that's the that's the alternate name for the podcast: problematic surprise. Problematic surprise. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I don't think there's anywhere to go from there. So uh, with the um, movie police apparently coming to get you. Um... Oh, God, sorry, yes. <laughs> don't worry, the crime squad's been called. There's only been 14 killings. Well, they'll cut, they'll, we'll definitely, if it gets over 25, we'll definitely Yeah, call, they'll, we'll they'll bring in the, the big guns. But... Now I, I have a, 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 a non-geographically specific gendarme. <laughs> on my case and as long as when he presents me with the somewhat refutable evidence as long as I don't go oh no I've been caught I did it run I'll be I'll be I'll, 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 I'll be alright with some jaunty sitcom music oh god that music, no, that music now that Next time, John and I are back in familiar territory with Dario Argento's 1975 Jallo masterpiece, Deep Red, aka Profondo Rosso. Please join us then.